Chapter 50 The Name Game It might be a pipe dream, but I'm smart enough to know that I needed to be prepared to pick up where I left off, so here I am. I've done my homework, meaning I've pre-sold the attraction before landing. I've changed all of my profile information to show that I'm a sugar baby who is available in the city of Nashville. You can't say I'm not on my toes while ready to be on my back. Is that where laying in wait comes from? I've got men lined up just awaiting my arrival. In fact, I have them by screen name, real names, and phone numbers all in ink in my faithful notebook. I've included notes beside their names with information that would help me in differentiating one from another. Tall guy that said he'd be waiting for me. Guy with a great smile, but married. I'd list the name of the dating site beside their names so that I could go back and refer to their information before calling or writing. I'd learned that calling the right man the wrong name was close to reply all in the business world. Lots of men with the same name would write to me. I found it to be ironic that there really were so many Joes in the world, and irony turned out to not be the case when, after I'd meet them, their real names would come forth. Bill, Casey, Daniel, Blair, Jason. I learned that if a man owned a different name, maybe one that one of my kids' friends were named, chances were he'd be in his 30s. It's all about demographics after a while. Unlike my last location, and now that I've taken this new 9-to-5 job in Nashville, these southern men weren't exactly thrilled that I wasn't available during the day when they felt they could justify sex time. After talking with them, letting them learn as much as I'd allow them to learn, and knowing I had the ability to make the slightest crack in their armor— I would really mess with their master plan. What were they to do with me now? Work around my schedule? Who's paying for who? Many of those men I'd hooked were harder to keep on the line due to my lack of availability. Chapter 51. Take Me Down to Cougar Town My mind continues to wander. Lately, it seems I'm meeting younger men. They come in spurts. Oh, What a poor choice of words. But I worry when I'm with a man who's 30 for a few different reasons. A younger man, when with an older woman, seems to lean towards desperation, needing to prove his masculinity. How long can I last inside of you without blowing my wad? Up until a couple of nights ago, I really did believe this. I had a discussion with my best friend. I told him, I just don't trust younger men with my physical needs. I'm afraid of them because I'm always thinking that they'll hurt me. When asked, why, Dora? I said, it's almost a feeling that I get. This man will have the staying power of a god or he's going to try and be Superman with me because when he wants to come, he'll force himself not to come. And either of these two scenarios are abusive to my insides. I don't want a man to last forever. The thrill starts with being looked at, lusted for, being laid down, opened up like that flower in a field, and entered. Right there, those few moments, it's enough for me. That is almost the perfect night. The only thing better is him icing that cake by coming soon, Soon, it tells me I have power. I can persuade him with every push, thrust, or kiss. He's one step closer to losing control. 
I love knowing I can make a man lose control. Am I repeating myself? Who cares? Especially a man who may be young enough to think he's in control. My friend differed in thought, saying, A young guy that lands a woman like you isn't thinking about staying power. He's trying to capture every moment like a snapshot for later. You are the prize. You're his Mrs. Robinson, his Stacy's mom. After hearing these words, silence followed while on the phone. He really gave me a reason to stop, think, and reanalyze what I thought I knew to be true. Maybe he was right. I'd been looking at this all backwards and inside out. These guys didn't have something to prove to me. But yes, they were using me not just for the sexual moment, but to build memories. Layers of fantasies for the future, like leaves on the forest floor, one scattered on top of another at strange angles, lying in wait for the wind to blow. One little burst of air can twist and turn that evening's memory to fit any whim or peace of mind he should decide to alter and relive. Incredible! It's what has me in awe of most men I meet, no matter the age, to see in their eyes that they are susceptible to the power, my power of suggestion, to admit that they love to be teased, to not want to know the outcome, to not see everything up close and personal until I'm ready to share, to watch them admittedly want to hand over the reins to me and let him become mine while I assure him he's in total control. It's all a part of a sequence of taking someone's breath away and returning it jagged and in an altered state. Younger, older, bold, timid, six foot four or five foot seven, to feel that a man trusts me enough to play with his mind is more than enough stimulation for me. I don't need or want him pounding away at me, ripping my insides out for the sake of proving he's Tarzan and I'm Jane. God, that felt good to say. In all seriousness, the other age issue that I call my point of diminishing returns is that until I sat down and had this conversation with my friend, I'd been feeling that I was running a race against my biggest competitor who just happens to be time. I was feeling that I only had a few years left to explore and exploit. The older I'd get, the less appealing I'd be to my favorite toys, the opposite sex. Just the feeling of having your toys not wanting to play with you anymore is overwhelming, to say the least. My friend said, you will never reach that age. You have that sexuality about you that is ageless. There will always be play toys for you. Men will remain transfixed by your sensuality and allure. Those things don't shrivel up and disappear with age. In fact, they mature and ripen and can get better with age, like a fine wine. He stopped me dead in my tracks. Once again, silence. Silence has become my second best friend. When preceded by something my best friend has said, I've spent my whole maternal lifetime explaining to all five kids you can't have more than one best friend. And listen to me now. My real best friend is normally right, although I've caught him with his pants down. This time, he certainly made his point. Wow. I'd been obsessing over what comes next. Who's going to want me when I'm ripe? 
His point was, if you're ripening now and men are all over you because of your combination of mystique and honesty, by the time you blossom into full ripening, they'll be coming in their pants when you walk through the door, just dripping your sexuality for them to lick up behind you. Isn't that a tantalizing picture? Little drops of sex, like a trail left behind by Hansel or Gretel. Hmm, which one would I want to follow me? Maybe... Both? Depends on the picture I paint or the fantasy I tell. I don't think I've let you know that this whole sexuality part of me came to a full blossom by telling stories in bed. I'd tell little vignettes to my husband as often as he'd like to hear. But something happened. He'd like them so much because I'd whisper them in my sexy voice that I'd find him looking online to have someone join us for a threesome. And I'd stop him. My reasoning was... I had control over this and felt he did not. If I liked it too much, I could never be with him again on our own. I'd need spice or enticement, and that would involve him working at it. I couldn't remember the last time he worked at anything between us sexually. Not his M.O. What would happen to our marriage if he couldn't keep up with the next guy, girl, that we both found to be appealing for different reasons? The inevitable. Divorce. I already had one foot out the door. How could he not know? Chapter 52. Tell Mama. Isn't it funny that while I sit and write about a marriage gone bad and my sexual antics, I picture raising my kids at odd times of my life. As great as I've become in the world of teasing is as awesome as I was as a mom. Maybe it doesn't matter what role we're in as long as we give it our all. Passion counts no matter where we spill it. If it's thick like honey, we are the glue to all of those around us in every passionate moment. Same with doing the wrong things and then justifying to ourselves at later dates. I had sex with who? When? Oh, well, that was just a mercy fuck to make him feel better about himself. I forced my kids to go to school when? Yeah, this is a great mom memory. When they were sick, I'd never take them to the doctor unless I felt it was the last resort after mommy meds. Did you gargle? Take Tylenol. Brush your teeth? All eyes would roll. They'd have to be near death for me to keep them home. My middle child won an award for never missing a day of middle school. Too damn funny. But... They all learned how to tough it out and make it work, even when they didn't feel up to par. They watched, they learned, they freaking suffered. What a mom. We all laugh about it today, as in rolling on the floor laughing, but I quickly remind them that, on the other hand, they should all remember that I never owned a stroller. I carried them everywhere, which created that bond forever, on my hip, across my chest, shoulders, wherever they fit for the moment is where they'd lay, while holding or hugging while in transit, until they were at least five years old. Wow! I hadn't thought of that in a long time. I had one double stroller, and that was used as a last resort when I had multiples with me and didn't feel the superpower in tow. Multiples meaning at least five at the same time. I know what you're thinking. Wait. What? This woman had five kids? It's okay. 
Remember, I was the sugar teen that didn't want marriage, kids, or fidelity. I'm as surprised as you are, especially when looking back and knowing I had them, even though I didn't think I'd want them, but never willing to trade them or the memories for anything else in my lifetime. I love my kids, all five of them. I would give my own life for my kids, and in a way, I have. I've given up the world's sense of morality to keep them fed, safe, clothed, and content. They don't need to know, as I didn't need to know about my mom's exploits. No, I'm not trying to justify my sexual behavior based totally upon taking care of my kids. It's definitely a big piece of it, but I do some of it for me too. I think I've made that clear. In fact, for someone looking in, knowing what I'm doing, it's easier on them to justify it by pointing at my kids. You're doing what you need to do to take care of them. I nod, give a half smile, and most often won't tell them about how great sex has been. Yes, okay. I wouldn't have entered into this if not for worrying about taking care of my family. But would I have gone to these extremes and stayed here if I didn't at least like it? We can lie to everyone else, but we can't successfully lie to ourselves. As much as we can try to avoid it, we will eventually run into a room with a mirror. Sometimes we see ourselves for what we really are. Other times we see our moms looking back. Either way, if we lie, we lose. Chapter fifty-three. Pondering as a writer would, in what direction, style, sequence of events, and processing do I want to go with this story? Should I have set this up as a dateline with some semblance of order? No, I've never had order in my life. So why start now? There is too much to share that I'm too afraid I'll forget to tell you if it comes to mind. I'm not wanting to risk that loss. I've landed in Nashville. I've arranged for a new apartment, a new job, a new life devoid of husband, dogs, and kids. It's all me now, and all I have to do to keep it this way is to be able to afford it. I've had my husband sign papers that state I've left for employment for the betterment of my family and not a state of abandonment. I've had him also put in writing that he'd make a certain amount of money per week to add to my new income, so that all kids, he and myself, will finally live comfortably again with medical insurance. My new job doesn't pay enough to cover the expenses for two households, and yet I believed him, sort of. Maybe I just needed to believe him so I could get out and let us, as a family, financially breathe for the first time in years. I gave up the life I knew. And felt it was worth it to go, worth it for me, worth it for the kids, even more so, worth it for him. I've felt guilty since the day I uttered the words, "I'm done." But thinking clearly, trying to make him into something he never was, I should never have uttered the words, "I do." I'm sort of fixing what I broke, moving him out of a stranger's house where he rents a bedroom. Renting another home for him to move into with his kids, allowing him full reign, the chance to be the stay-at-home dad in all his glory. The only thing that could make his life more perfect would be if I stayed and loved him for who he really is. Here I go again, jumping in the pool, not knowing if I know how to swim. But it's just become a way of life for me. That says a lot about my state of mind. No, 
See if you can hear the time warp as it happens. Swish. Just like a perfect basket dunked. Chapter 54 You and That Mouth My kids are in the distance. Sometimes I feel they don't even miss me. And being as finely tuned as an expensive instrument, I know that my instincts are correct. I think about that, and I wonder if they're happy to be rid of me at times. I wonder if their dad is saying negative things about me. Or their friends look at them strangely when they say, No, my mom doesn't live with us anymore. The reality has slapped me right across the face. My husband will never earn the money he said he would to help while I build this new career I've been offered. I'm really having to work days and nights to keep my kids secure. I always dream about what it would be like to let them know just what I had to do for their safekeeping. But I know no matter how old they get, they'd never see it as anything other than disgusting. No child is ever mature enough to need to understand this type of survival. I never understood my own mom's need for her own mental survival with her infidelity. And I know it's different, but moms and their sexual behavior and their offspring just don't mix well in the same lifetime. Let me not dwell on things that I may be overthinking, things that are very hurtful to me, things that if I let them can destroy me and make me give up everything I'm trying to accomplish within this reinvention of life. I've stepped off the curb disregarding traffic because in my mind, I know my purpose is stronger than the metal of a bumper. I'm here to save my kids, save myself and make a mark. They'll never know how I played in traffic while their dad became the best daddy that cooked the best meals ever. I'm the loser in this math equation, at least in everyone else's eyes except my husband's. He knows. Damn, he knows the truth. I'm paying for his way, too. This is a humbling experience in the middle of flamboyance. I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my life, adjusting to being on my own, sometimes loving it, other times so lonely, gathering a bi-weekly paycheck from a prestigious company that has offered me a very prestigious career, only to transfer that money into my family's account to see it used for all necessities of their lives, while I really don't get to see much of it at all. So... I continue to go out at night. The mom, the wife, the employee still rules the roost by being the tease, the flirt, the woman with the great smile, the sexy body, the cougar. And I bring in the money that I keep in reserve. What a crazy word to use while being so unreserved in behavior. I worry that someday I'll lose this job and we'll need this sugar money to survive. So I keep it under lock and key beside a box of condoms and a few pair of thigh highs and a handy dandy credit card reader in my closet. I've got all bases covered. Really? All I need when ready to walk out the door on a sugar night is a trench coat and high heels. I've noticed that while involved in this sugar world, I'm attracting regular men. Regular, meaning they'd never in a million years even know that there were such things as sugar daddies. I try and dissuade these regular men from getting close to me so they don't get hurt, still protecting these silly men for what reason I know not. 
I even went as far as telling one of them why I wouldn't be with him just to spare his ego. I explained that my body can only take so much physicality while I'm giving it up to the paying man. I was so busy trying to spare him that I never saw the question heading my way like a dart on its way to a bullseye on the dartboard. How much? I literally threw my head back and laughed out loud, which wound up making the situation even worse than the one we started with. I had to tell him he couldn't afford me. As soon as I said the words, I heard my dad again. You and that mouth of yours. Oh my God, shut the fuck up already. Chapter 55-804 I neglected to tell you about my dad's favorite number. It was on his ship in the Navy, his social security card, his license plate, and he'd play it often and win, straight or boxed. It was 804. When he died that night in the hospital, I asked him to somehow let me know that he was okay. He was unconscious, but I still felt he might be able to hear me. After all, I was the executor who had to pull the plug, turn off life, and remember that he was the one that started my sugar philosophy. Lady in public, Dora. Whore in bed. I'll never forget the words and the reasons he said them. The night he died... Something changed, almost like the world as I knew it slipped. As I mentioned earlier, I slept in his neighbor's bed for 10 days. Lady taking care of the estate by day, whore taking care of this man by night. I'm fully aware that the nighttime play was my escape, and on that night that I pulled the plug on my dad, he would have won that daily number. In the city, where he lay waiting in the hospital to be picked up by the cremator. His number hit. I saw it flash right across the TV screen. Every hotel I've been asked to visit since by men I hardly know, but for some reason I trust them enough to meet and pay me, has been in room 804 or room 408. What is my dad doing? Proving a point or keeping me safe? I can only pray he's not watching because it really is something I've learned without him and would like to know that it's private. Let me share a few more experiences with you. First off, the scariest part is I don't remember all of them. No, through it all, I wasn't drinking. It's just that most of these men made no impression on me. I met a man who led me down a different kind of path where he enjoyed being the voyeur. He'd participate, but he'd love to see someone else having sex with me while he'd touch or lick or pull me into a position better for viewing. I told him ahead of time that I was nervous about this, but he said, anytime I wanted to stop, the woman always had the right of way to say so. He invited a black man over. Another first for me. He was a nice-looking man. My curiosity got the best of me, and I started talking with him ahead while my friend sat back and watched. I only wanted to know what he was made of. Was this a man I'd have wanted to have sex with without the setup? Yes, he was a schoolteacher, well-versed, and as it turned out, well-hung. I was very happy to let him touch me. It brings to mind a memory of when I was very little. And my dad took me to a diner for lunch. I was so excited to sit at the counter on the stool where my feet didn't touch the ground. I still have that same excitement, believe it or not, when I sit on a tall stool and my feet can swing freely like that of a little girl's. A black woman sat down next to us and I turned to her and I asked, 
Why is your skin dirty? That may have been where my dad's famous saying began. I remember the look on his face, the feeling of remorse in my heart that I'd done something wrong, as the woman put her hand on my arm and said, Feel me. It's not dirt. We're just different colors, but we're still the same. I thought she was beautiful, and I loved the way she felt. I felt that again while touching this man. Chapter 56 Nick at Night I'd have men arguing with me about condoms to the point that I'd have to bring it up before we'd even set a date. Did they feel they were the chosen ones? I'd even tried to explain that they should feel safe in knowing that I insisted. I've learned that two things kill the potential date, condoms and working during the day. Truth be told, I'd be making a killing at sugar daddy work, much more so than my legitimate day job. I just continue to try and be legitimate. I want my kids to be able to look back and without a black cloud following me and be proud of me. I want to set the right example for them, just like my mom did for me, by going back to school at age 50 and getting her degree. While here in Nashville, I met a man through the site named Nick, who claimed to be a sugar daddy. He paid me a few times, even though in a real-life situation, I would have really enjoyed him without the money. It was everything about him. He was married, but said his marriage was through. At the time, it didn't mean that much to me to know this, because I was married too, even though I'd been separated long enough to call it quits, but I was legally still bound, and maybe in a morbid way I felt a connection with this man because of this fact. The more we spent time with each other, the more we picked up a lot of each other's idiosyncrasies to the point where, when I was with him, I'd start to hear myself talking like him. He would imitate me in jest, and I'd laugh out loud. I'd call it mimicking, while he called it mocking. I taught him things I liked, and he did the same with me. Imagine, at this late stage in life, I allowed sex to take on a new role— the mom, the wife, the businesswoman, the entrepreneur all came together and said the same thing at once. What the fuck? It wasn't all about the money with this man. It became more about the comfort of knowing someone really cared enough about me to feel comfortable enough to mock me. I thought I was strong enough to live this life I'd become a part of, love-free, care-free, and just move on when need be. I was wrong. Scary wrong. Roles became confusing with him, where he admitted to not having enough money to sustain the amount of time he was seeing me, and where I should have felt betrayed because he no longer wanted to adhere to the sugar daddy role, I also saw in his eyes how horrible he felt. It was as if he knew he'd stepped too far in, and I allowed it to happen. Me, Ms. Intuitive. I selfishly swallowed him up while knowing he didn't stand a chance of knowing how to turn back. Baby step by baby step, he'd fallen deeply in love with me. From my past, including in my teen life, to my present, it seems I possessed the X factor in the category of lust, in having this effect on certain men. Not to take away from this man, but just to offer an example. One man in the UK who planned his trip into the States to meet me prior to our much-anticipated wedding day in his head. 
another man in Atlanta who promised me a honeymoon in Hawaii, the colonel in D.C., who I actually got on a plane to go see, and a man suffering from cancer, and while living through chemotherapy wanted to live again with me, and on and on. They all seemed to come tumbling down, and all professed till death do us part, but I'd always known how to help them to put it away and move forward while binding the friendship. For all the times I'd made light of it with these other men, preventing them from jumping off the deep end, so to speak, for some reason with this man, I allowed it to happen. I believe a lot of it evolved because I enjoyed the sex so much that I felt it was worth the emotional risk. I enjoyed the heady feeling of knowing that someone, someone like him, cared enough to risk his everyday world to make my every other day world secure. Just with the depth of his love, risky is exactly what it was as I allowed him to step inside my head, look around, grasp what I was really all about, maybe even before I really knew myself. I'd not only laid all my cards out on the table where he could not only read every hand I would have in play, he would see them on my face. Sex turned to the left and emotions turned to the right. I trusted this man. I loved this man with my whole heart. Not a half, not a quarter. There was not even a sliver left over for safekeeping. No, nothing left. I loved him deeply. I tried to rationalize it by saying, Dora, you're new to the city. He's helped you feel a bit more secure by showing you around, making you feel less alone, blah, 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 blah. I was lying to myself faster than any man ever has lied to me in my lifetime. When he stopped paying me for sex, I was relieved. I knew in my heart of hearts that I was not a sugar baby. This was temporary for me, and he stepped into my temporary world and brought back the woman I had been. I missed her. I cried when I saw her in the mirror and yet wanted to yell at her at the top of my lungs saying, Where the fuck have you been? I saw a sugar daddy that pulled the plug on my finances. He wanted to be with me without paying me. Instead of seeing him as a fraud, I saw him as susceptible. He was raw, grasping, and demanding in his own way. He told me the truth. Truth being, he didn't belong on a sugar daddy site to begin with, but wanted intimacy, passion, and sex in a hurry due to the lack of what he'd been missing forever at home. What better place to get a quick fix than a sugar daddy site? The more I watched him watch me, I was able to see through it all. Because I'd been him before. I, too, had craved that feeling, the feeling of needing to be satiated in a hurry for fear of drowning in a waterless lake. Some may think that's impossible to do until you've been the one swimming in nothing for so long. I continued to see him, letting my love just grow to heights I never knew existed, realizing it wasn't just about the sex anymore. I understood that I'd been hiding behind the need for money and sex as a cure for life for quite a while whispering over and over to myself inside my own head, I don't want to be in a relationship. Grasping at the terms I'd recently learned through the drills, NSA, no strings attached. But I knew it was a farce. Who was I kidding? I'm one of the most monogamous women I know. 
Truly, when I love someone, I love them all the way. No holds barred, and I'm faithful. Imagine that—a faithful sugar baby. He made me remember the qualities that made up my makeup. This man loved me for me, not just for the sex, not just for what I looked like. He loved everything about my character, personality, and being, and he wasn't afraid to let me know it. Here I was with this perfect plan in motion, very successfully pulling it off, and with one look from him. A look I very easily learned to recognize. I caved. I felt it again. Where it had been so long between romantic movies, I was shocked that I was still able to have these feelings. For a while, I continued to be as I was—a sugar baby to other paying sugar daddies, playing the role that I'd mastered. While I'd look forward to giving myself to this man for free whenever he'd make himself available to me. I fed off of his blatant desire for me, so apparent in the way he couldn't stop touching me, looking at me, kissing me, holding me. My favorite thing was just to sit on his lap. All the things I'd wished for for my whole life. I knew it was risky to continue dating on the side, but I needed to pay the bills, still needing to fund my family where he couldn't afford to be the one to do so. So with trepidation. I did. How can a woman so deeply in love have sex for money on the side at the same time? An ordinary woman couldn't. A mother of needy children can. God help me! I'm telling the truth. I'm not justifying, rationalizing, lying, or faking a thing. I wanted both. I admit it. I wanted to keep my kids safe. And act as a bulimic person at the same time, swallowing up as much love as I'd felt I'd been denied for years, while knowing eventually I'd have to spit it out, or even worse, throw it up. How can one person keep so much love inside without bursting for too great a period of time? It's impossible. So I kept gorging and storing and believing blindly. Don't great authors say love is blind? I kept coming back to him, counting the days in between. I felt myself starting to slip, slip into something much more comfortable, like love, where it used to be easy to be with a man sexually on Monday and then meet up with another man on Friday without missing a beat. It now became an effort. I was dragging my feet, looking for excuses not to go. I didn't need a mirror to recognize myself anymore. Now, every time I looked in his eyes, I remembered the woman I used to be, the woman I still wanted to be. Even with peripheral vision, I recognized the woman I'd been when I'd gotten married twenty-five years earlier. Why shouldn't I have that pleasure again? Only this time, maybe I'd be old enough to appreciate it in a different way, maybe more mature. More settled down, more captivated by my suitor. I was so drawn to him, like a moth to a flame, that I simply ignored the fact that he was married. I always believed it would be the man I was involved with who would take the heavy fall in love if things didn't work out with me. Never did I believe it would be me who would spiral down the dark hole. That vacant black space that never seemed to own the stickiness capable of lining the walls to break the fall. It was a slippery slope that lacked any equation of how the future would turn out. I'm leaving my wife for you, 
Will you be there for me? I don't know how she'll react, whether she'll be a hostile witness or a complacent victim. And I don't know what I really feel is best. I wonder how many of my friends will still like me. What about my family? I just look at you and I melt. I can't live my life without you. And by the way, I saw you sign on to the Sugar Daddy site today. I've been logging on just to see whether you log on or not. All of these words spinning around inside of my brain, his words spoken out loud, escaping his lips, matching and mating the thoughts I could easily put myself in a quandary over. I wanted to believe him. I loved him. While at the same time, I saw the pattern, the pattern of bad choices in men. Could I stop myself from allowing this to happen? Yes. Would I stop it from taking me for that amusement park ride? No. I wanted to live in a fantasy world for as long as I could. I now know that the ups and downs of the ride are what I'd been missing year after year. Stability is not always food for the soul. I needed the thrill ride. The ride our moms warned us of not to eat before we got on. The ride our moms told us to stay away from if we saw a gold ring on their finger. The danger we gravitated towards because secretly we knew we weren't supposed to touch. As young women, we were taught to not touch what wasn't ours, and yet we did. It always seems to be better when it belongs to someone else. We can fix it, even if she can't. Like my mom couldn't fix my dad. I always tried to be the woman to satisfy my man. There it is. The answer, daughters try to outdo their mothers in many sets of circumstances. I tried to outdo her sexually. We set ourselves up for a bigger disaster than we had going in, and we know it as we're doing it, but we do it again and again. We say it's all about love. Truth be told, where I thought it was, I now know it's not. It's breaking tradition. While I waited for him to decide his future, I was being pursued by multiple men on the Sugar Daddy sites, all of whom made much more sense to be with, and even so, as they spell out what they want sexually and what they'll offer monetarily, I told them all the same thing. I'm involved with a man that I care for, and I'm giving him until the holidays to make a decision. Not an ultimatum, no. If I say that, I'd scare my potential suitors away. I'm smarter than that as I explained that he wanted to explore the option of changing his life and wanted to know if I'd wait long enough and like to be involved. I felt it was the right thing to do, to give him the time needed and be there for him if so. And oh, did I tell you how much I loved him? To this day, I don't think I'll ever love another man as much as I ate, drank, and breathed in this man. Yet, this had been my answer to all emails. All of these men are waiting on me for a yay or a nay. They've all set dates with me for after the first of the year, in anticipation of my guy making the see you later decision. I can feel the vibe from all of them, almost as though they're licking their chops. The life of a sugar baby is far from stable, but my life never was. As a result, I don't feel that different, aside from being in love. There were always tremendous ups and downs in my teen years, young adult years, adult life, so I was prepared for this lifestyle ahead of time. After taking this job, 
leaving my kids behind to be parented by their dad, and just recently taking a trip back home to be with them, I spent six days with trepidation. I was not only up in the air as to what my lover had decided, but I was doubting myself as a mother once again. Did I make the right decision to take this job to support the family? Yes. Logic will always prevail when it comes to putting food on the table, but the truth of the matter is, I could have made even more money than I'm making in Nashville if I'd stayed behind and solely continued with the sugar baby work. I chose to do both, my decision and no one else's, and we're still not making ends meet. Always pressure. I basically shut down the sugar daddy world while waiting. It didn't help that I'd met some very crazy men online that just added strong negative reasoning to my already waning appetite for extracurricular sex. One man, for instance, wanted to see me monthly, but only at a swingers club. How could he want to swing with me when we haven't yet met? Another man was into cuckolding, an act that I knew nothing about prior to entering this world, having me be in control and not allowing him to have pleasure unless he watched me be pleasured by someone else. Self-degradation at its highest plateau. Another wanted to see me for multiple lunches, dinners, and two playtimes a month for the grand total of $300 per month. I was baffled that a man could think any woman would give of herself twice a month for that dollar amount, even if married to him. I was reading all of these emails while feeling as though I had blinders on. I couldn't see past the letter L for love. There was a guy who wrote me saying, I thought you blocked me. I called the Sugar Daddy helpline and asked why. They told me, she didn't block you. It was a glitch in our system. As I'm reading all of this from a man I'd talked to six months earlier who chased me down in this way, I was actually feeling, wow, this guy really wanted to meet me. He went to a lot of trouble to find me again. So I wrote him, telling him of my situation and thanking him at the same time for making that extra effort to find me. He asked if he could just get together for a drink with no strings. I said, sure, as long as you understand my situation, that I'm a lady in waiting. He did. In fact, he asked if we could talk. I said, yes. His mom was in the hospital not doing well. And he was angry at the doctors, angry to the point where he told me three times within one conversation that his IQ was 150 and probably higher than the doctors. That was my first clue that this might be a mistake. Smart guy, know-it-all, chases me down, finds me, convinces me to talk, which I normally wouldn't do. He played the sick mom card and yet acted as though he continued to understand that I was in a holding pattern. He called several times and asked to meet me, and each time that I'd respond with a, sure, as long as you understand where my head is, answer. And then, I never heard from him on the day of the meetup. To this day, that man that sought me out via the information line of Sugar Daddy has never written or called me again. It all started to come together in my head as one big clusterfuck. These guys that weren't true sugar daddies would be the demise of me for sure. They were wannabes. I couldn't handle anyone that didn't have their game in order. The bottom line was, I couldn't be a part of it with clear conscience at this point. While I had the stirrings of love in my immediate airway, it choked me up. No, it just went against my grain. No matter how I was brought up, no matter how promiscuous I'd lived through my teens and my early adult life, I knew what love was. 
I knew how special it was to be an age that I was able to finally understand it, be a part of it, and what it would feel like to lose it because of a stupid move on my part. I shut myself down. I closed the door on the sugar daddy world. He's come and gone and come and gone again. I took him back, even after he said he needed more time. I did a lot of self-analysis throughout this time and realized, yes, I loved him. But even more so, I was afraid to be alone. I'd wallow through the weekends just knowing I wouldn't be alone on the other side. When did I become this frightened woman? I thought I was so strong and so ready to be on my own. I left my own husband having nothing to head towards except a much-needed job. So why would he have such a different effect on me? I was so wrong. I went from being a daughter and living at home to having an apartment close to home, a short stint in Miami on my own, to moving with my boyfriend from home to Philly and living with him, to marriage with the next man, having children, to being in a city that felt like a foreign country with no one to call mine. I basically spent my entire life being a part of someone else and was continuously faithful. I didn't know how to be anything else until I took that leap into the world of sugar daddy. Talk about being an extremist. What happened to my morals? Did I give them all to my children for safekeeping? Could they hold on to them for when I was ready to have them back? Or did I create mini-me monsters by handing them the secret ingredients? I gave him my heart, my soul. I opened my legs for free whenever he wanted. I gave him a set of keys and carte blanche to my life. And while waiting once again for him to do as he said, I'm leaving her. I just don't know how. I caught him. The man that taught me how to love again had hacked my computer. A Westwood One podcast production.